Ephesians chapter 6, dealing with the believer's armor. Peter O'Brien, in his commentary, dealing with his letter to the Ephesians on this section, writes, Many contemporary Christians seem to be unaware that there is a war in progress, or if they are, he writes, they consider it to be fought at a purely human level, and therefore earthly resources are entirely adequate for conducting the campaigns. Then he writes, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that is, other people, but against forces of evil headed up by Satan himself. God's own armor has been forged and furnished by him for our use so that we may obey his injunction to stand firm. Hence, the call to put on the divine armor. Reading from the word of God, finally, or as what remains, or in addition to all that has been taught now in order to live that out. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in 6.10 of Ephesians, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. As we enter this study, the message from God found in the 10 verses, 11 verses from 10 through 20, is that every Christian should stand against the onslaughts of Satan. You need to prepare yourself to stand firm in a shifting culture. What's required to do so? we focused on verses 10, 11, and 12, that you and I need spiritual strength. And it's based on this call to arms, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, put on the whole armor. And literally it is, let yourself be strengthened. Something will happen to you. As we said in the original language, there is an active voice, I hit the ball. There is a passive voice. I was hit by the ball. Something happened to me. You're not doing the action that is happening to you. You will be strengthened. This is passive. God will strengthen you as you do something. There is something the Greek has that the English doesn't. The original language of the Greek New Testament not only has an active voice and a passive, but it has something called middle We don't have that in English. I hit myself. And it stresses the agency, the one who does it. Whereas the active and the passive stress action. This stresses agency. I hit myself, the one doing it. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now in the middle, you put on. Do something to yourself. God will do his part. He will strengthen you and me. When we do our part, we clothe ourselves with this armor. Does that make sense? So it's based on a call to arms that comes through attachment to Christ. For we read in this verse, and in the strength of his might or the power of his might, the power that raised Christ from the dead is the power for you and me today. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. The same power that raised him from the dead is the power that God will give you and me in this life because of this spiritual battle. For we read here that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done all, done everything to stand firm. Stand firm then as we begin now several weeks study over the next few weeks. We're going to clothe the soldier, putting on the spiritual armor. And our study is in verse 14. Stand firm, hold the ground, remain fixed, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
We said we are at war, and we've seen this soldier. We had Pastor Aaron come in, and he was fully equipped. And he looks something like this soldier that you'll see on this image on the screen in just a moment. Kind of like that, all right? And you'll see a full armed, armored soldier there. That's who Paul has in mind in that image that he is putting for us here. And the armor pieces are right before you there, very authentic pieces. What we're going to focus on is on this next piece, this first piece, and that is what he will say, having your loins girt, in verse 14, your loins girt with truth. And so let's talk about this first piece called a belt of truth. Now, as we do that, we're going to illustrate and talk about what is the as we talk about then the illustration that he presents and then the meaning behind it. What is he trying to picture? And so we're going to dress our soldier and I'm going to ask him to come out and we're going to start dressing him for battle. All right. Someone said he's looking far too comfortable in that dress, but we're going to start dressing him. Stand right up there if you would, please. The first thing the soldier would do is he would put on this belt. This is not the belt to which his sword would be affixed. And what Paul is talking about here in this picture presented, we will demonstrate with Aaron. The picture of the belt, what was it? The soldier actually wore three different kinds of belts. And as he gets ready, and you'll see from this image, there will be one in which it's a wider one that you would hang the sword to, and we will talk about that in the weeks to come. But what he does, and actually as Aaron came out, his and, and we spent part of the time talking about the equipment that we've obtained here. His father has a hobby. And what his father did was purchase from studios in Hollywood 10 complete Roman soldier outfits, the entire panoply, enough to equip 10 soldiers. And the pieces are designed to be and appear authentic. Whenever you see, or when Aaron and the others were wearing the, the robe, and I'll take you onto this side for just a moment too so folks can see, but as you see him, the image or the, 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 the Hollywood version of the Roman soldier is already dressed up. However, in reality, what the Roman soldier wore is this tunic. The tunic would not be at this length. It would actually be down just about to his ankles. But for the Hollywood dramatization, they already bloused it up and then shortened them off, okay? So the robe, the tunic that a soldier would have worn in day-to-day life goes down to his ankles. At the time then that he suits up or prepares to go into battle, how many of us were in the military? Raise your hand. Quite a few of us were. And remember how we bloused our trousers and then we rolled them up above the boot? And then we did that? Well, that's what they would do. They would bring it up to this length and it would be tucked in under a belt like this. All right? And so the soldier would wear that tunic with this loose flowing robe. But the purpose of a belt then was to now afford the soldier movement flexibility, able to move and engage without being encumbered and caught up or tripping over himself. So what's the meaning intended? Girt your loins. Notice what it says, girded. That term girded or gird your loins. By the way, this is a common Hebrew expression of the day. 
I'm going to turn to a couple of passages of Scripture. One is in Exodus 12 and verse 11. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11. As you look in Exodus 12 verse 11, it says, And when the Israelites are in Egypt and Moses is telling Pharaoh that we're going to take the people away and they will go for several days. And this will be before the plagues even. But as he's telling the nation of Israel and the people, get ready, in Exodus chapter 12, and you, it says here in verse 9, Do not eat any raw or boiled at all with water the meat. But he says in verse 10, And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left until morning you shall burn with fire. Now, verse 11, Exodus 12, 11, You shall eat it in this manner. With your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and as you shall eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. In other words, as you eat the Passover, get ready to move out. Okay? It's used then of an expression to get ready, to prepare, to move out, to commit yourself. An expression of readiness. It's found that way. It was a common carryover. As you read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, listen as I read Luke 12, beginning in verse 32. Luke would write these words. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out as unfailing treasures in heaven, where no thief comes nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for the master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they immediately, when he opens the door to him, they can go out. It says in verse 36, Be like men who are waiting for their master. And he's talking about something he's just said in verse 35. Be dressed in readiness or have your loins girded. The old King James would say it that way, much the way the old English Bible and some of the others would write, your loins girded. Be ready. The idea then is an expression that speaks of readiness or commitment. And what Paul is talking about in this first piece of armor is in a sense then talking about a mindset toward commitment. Commitment toward what? And by the way, if you would like other verses, you could look in 1 Peter 1.13. Your mind committed, prepared for something so as not to get entangled, ready to engage in action. Skevington Wood then writes these words, the belt tied tightly around the waist indicated that the soldier was prepared for action. To slacken the belt was to go off duty. Committed to truth. It's the Greek word aletheia. And it has a couple of possibilities in the text. What is truth? Well, it could be sanctify them in truth. Thy word is what? Truth. And it could refer to the word of God. A commitment then, as it were, to the body of truth. God's word, the gospel, our authority. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It could be, and, and it is in that sense then, what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So Aletheia could refer then to the word of God. 
It could also refer as a possibility in Ephesians 1.13 to this. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and prophets and some as evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body, till we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs into the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness or the methods... Methodia, or the schemings of the devil that was translated the wiles of the devil. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. One of the things we pointed out is that Paul is using words that he commonly used throughout the body of the epistle. Chapter 4, verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus... So the term, the gird yourself, it says here in verse 14, your loins girded, committed to truth. It can be the gospel or it can be truthfulness, seriousness, genuineness. And both elements, I believe, are not only possible but are probably contained in the expression, your loins girded with truth. In other words, you are in a life and death battle. We are wrestling. Remember what we said last time. It is a hand-to-hand combat. And Satan and his emissaries in this hand-to-hand combat do want to destroy you. You need to fully realize that and become committed to the faith, to the Word of God, to Jesus Christ. And because you have accepted the truth of the revelation and received Christ who is himself the truth... Your life should be committed to truth. And you should display that consistency of character that springs from it. Our lives should be characterized then as those who are committed to truth. And we live in the truth and we live the truth. And people then when they see us they see and understand and have a better image of what the gospel looks like when it changes a life. How committed are you, is what Paul is saying. Your commitment then, your life, the first thing you must do is establish in your life that that is the principle, that word of God is the principle, the basis on which All my actions emit, and to which I am fully committed. It is my standard. Okay? Does that make sense? So this is the first thing. I am committed. The loins girded. It's a funny way to get to it, but that's what he is saying. Your loins girded with truth and having on a breastplate of righteousness. And let's look at what that is. Now, we had some soldiers who were wearing a couple of pieces of breastplate material. And so, if we can show that again, what one of them was, was this. And it's sitting right before the pulpit this evening. It would be a metal piece. Now, officers and many soldiers wore a fixed, solid piece 
of metal armor. There are other pieces that they would wear, and as you look at the picture, it would be worn by soldiers for combat. If you were wealthy, wealthier, you didn't necessarily wear the metal piece. And one of the things about this, Aaron, what is... What did you say was difficult with this? When you sit down, you can't get up, okay? It's wearing metal on, and I'll let him come up and show it to you. It was, this piece is metal on the front, metal on the back. It's a, it's a pretty heavy piece of armor. And so when you're wearing it, it's, it's hard to move around. He, on a couple of occasions, asked him, bend, and you know, if, he said, I can't bend, okay? It's pretty fixed, all right? And so... A wealthier soldier would wear something, as you see in the image on projected, what we call chain mail. And even before the Middle Ages, they made armor of mail. And it would be links of steel hooked one after another, woven together, very, very heavy, actually much heavier than this. Mail is heavier. But the thing about it is it had offered and afforded what? Some movement, some flexibility. Okay? If you were a poorer soldier, what they would do is sometimes take a hoof of an animal or even horns and they shaved them and they made or put on top of a heavy cloth, almost like we would see burlap. Over the top of that, they would sew then layers like scales and they would overlap like scales. A poor man's set of armor, okay? And so what Paul is talking about, though, is probably the armor of the soldier, akin to what we saw in the image as we looked at it, and probably much more akin to a breastplate that looked like that one. And so that breastplate is very important. I'm going to ask Aaron to slip that breastplate on for a moment. And as he does that, I'm going to ask him to stand next to me. Now, if you notice, and this one is actually very, and we'll step up here for a moment, this piece of, or this breastplate is actually designed with two functions in mind. It protects the what? The what? And stomach. These two pieces. And that's why they actually had a curved piece that went down to protect the abdomen. So as you look at this breastplate worn by a soldier, and we said the various parts, but it would protect as we talk then about the heart. The heart, and it would protect then the abdomen, the bowels. The Greek word splankna. I like that word, doesn't it? It sounds like that. Say it with me. Splankna. We're going to learn a lot of Greek words in here, okay? But the splankna. And it sounds like, okay. <laughs> it sounds like this, doesn't it? It sounds like splankna. So children get up to... In the evening, honey, what's wrong? Is your splunk not hurt? <laughs> but the heart. What's important and why the heart? Jot some things down. In Paul's day, the heart symbolized the what? Well, it was thought that this is where the seat, the heart, symbolized the mind, the thinking aspect. Proverbs 23, verse 7. Let me read Proverbs to you. In Proverbs 23, verse 7, it says, For as he thinks, and here it's translated, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Mark 7, verse 21. And while I'm turning to Mark 7, verse 21, and you listen as I read, please. 
Mark 7:21. What is Jeremiah 17:9? For the what? Heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Mark 7 verse 21 says this. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts. Fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, etc. Out of the heart proceed these thoughts. The residency of the soul, the spirit. It was a metaphor then or a euphemism for this is the, the thought originator. They knew of the brain, of course, but they were thinking, this is the innermost part, the thoughts. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Believe in your heart. It was the seed of belief, the mind, whereas... I'll read a passage to you from 1 John 3, verse 17. You know this passage. But in 1 John 3, have you ever had to get up publicly and speak or do something and you get butterflies in your... Splunkna. Splunkna. All right, very good. Good. Butterflies in your... Splunkna. Stomach. Okay. And you feel, whereas the heart would be the seat of belief, you would emit emotions or feel emotions where? Here in the abdominal region. Okay? So when Paul talks about putting on the armor that protects the heart and what? He's talking about your thoughts and your emotions. Okay? As a matter of fact, 1 John 3, verse 17, John writes, Whosoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his bowels of compassion or his heart, how dwell the love of God in him. And so if you can see somebody in need and have no feeling toward that, how does the love of God dwell in you? It's your feelings. Now, that's important. It says then, your heart, putting on, as we read then back in Ephesians 6.14, and having the breastplate of righteousness. The idea then is your heart and your bowels, as it were, your thinking and your emotions, protected, covered, in two vital areas, are covered by righteousness. And what are we talking about? It's not self-righteousness or your strength. It's not even imputed righteousness. You cannot remove, the moment you get saved, you cannot take off your imputed righteousness. Does that make sense? This is something that you must be committed to or apply. So you can't take off your salvation. You can't, and we're not talking about self-righteousness or you'd be defeated. So what kind of righteousness is he talking about? 
The righteousness that you and I would sometimes put in terms of practical righteousness, or the term is holiness, or uprightness, or integrity of character, moral rectitude, and moral purity. In other words, holy living. And I would give you several verses here. Isaiah 59, verses 16 and 17, where we see the captain of Israel is soldiered then in a breastplate of righteousness. Five times in Romans 6, this righteousness or holy living, holiness. Or 1 Corinthians 15, 34, or the passage that I'm going to read is in 1 Peter And listen as I read 1 Peter 1, verse 13, where he writes these words. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who has called you, be yourselves also holy in all behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for what? I am holy. Holiness. Ephesians 5 verse 9 talks about that. For the fruit of the light consists in godliness and righteousness. Goodness and righteousness and in truth. Right, holy living. And when you give yourself, consecrate, and that's what we said the first word speaks of commitment to truth. Commitment to the word of God. This speaks about consecration. This is talking about my mind, my emotions, how I think and feel. I want them to be holy. I want my thoughts to be holy. When I have feelings and sometimes as I'm looking at things I shouldn't and there are these pangs for a moment, God, please help me to think what? Holy. To be pure. To be holy. Now we could illustrate... You don't even have to illustrate this. Standing in a bookstore, standing before a magazine rack, or like my pastor used to call it, the 200-mile Christian. When I was first saved and being discipled, Pastor Kittle would teach about, do you know what the 200-mile Christian is? They're 200 miles from home on a business trip. Nobody will know. You're 200 miles from anywhere. Nobody will know. The 200-mile Christian. You wouldn't know they're a Christian. And they themselves, by their thoughts, their actions, their intentions, they're in a hotel room. Nobody knows the movie they're watching. Nobody knows. God does. He's there. And Satan does. He's there. Okay? And he is there to cause you and render, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I thought that. So people, college students, greatest affliction we had on a college campus were students with computers and pornography. And when you'd bring them in and we'd talk, and I'd tell them as a chaplain on campus, if you are struggling with this, president of a seminary, I made a proposition to the students. If you're in ministry and you're wrestling with this problem, it could lead to your downfall, the destruction of your marriage, and it could lead to you having to resign your ministry. But you've destroyed your marriage and your family. If we can help you, 
I'll make a pact with you. You come and see us. And let's work through this in council. My goodness, we thought the floodgates opened. Men and women preparing for ministry set up appointments one right after another to see us as professors in a seminary. If it happens to people preparing for ministry, it's going on in our midst, isn't it? And Satan knows the weak spot. And Paul writes, you need to be committed to the Word of God. And you need to protect your thoughts and your feelings, your heart, with righteousness. And when you do, you've got on a breastplate that will allow you to stand firm for Jesus Christ, to be a living testimony, someone who can say then, follow me for the Lord. Paul would write to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, my belief, and love, my compassion, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. This week, you're going to be faced with a lot of things in this world. A lot of things are going to come at you. Okay. Be ye what? Holy. Why? For I am holy. He calls us to it. He expects us to do it. And he's equipped us that we can. The power that raised Christ can be in you this week. You just have to make provisions to do so as well. In other words, what must I do then to live practical holiness? You have to be in the word. Thy word, say it with me. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against thee. All right? Let's live that way this week. Father, thank you for the time and the word. Wrap us up in your strength as we commit ourselves, consecrate ourselves, committed to the truth, consecrated to holiness, righteousness. Please, we pray that you would bless those, there are those among us who have this ongoing struggle. Actually, it's the majority of us. We're not in glory yet, Lord. We know that. And we know, and Satan knows, weak spots in each of our lives that he'll come after what we think and how we feel. Moments of discouragement, moments of passion, moments of thoughts that shouldn't be there. Lord, help us as we endeavor to live rightly. And when those moments come, help us to sing songs instead of letting our minds traffic or be carried away into areas we shouldn't be pondering. Let the Word of God be on our minds and in our lips. May songs then displace those thoughts so Satan has no foothold or no place in order to send his darts, his arrows into our heart. Please, we pray these things in Jesus' name. For his glory, amen. Amen.